Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are overjoyed <laughs> to have Ryan Cruz with us. I like to describe him as my former student and forever friend. Um, so well, welcome to the show, Ryan. Welcome. Yo, thank you. <laughs> What's up, <Yeah>. y'all? <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, where are you joining us from today? I'm in Wichita, Kansas, live from the basement right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a cool setup. I wish everyone could see it. You've got all these awesome posters behind you and everything. It's just a very cool vibe. I love it. It's the artistic space. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Ryan, we always ask our guests a little bit about their team, like Team Cruise, you know, the, the family you grew up with, family you choose and make now. So yeah, let's hear about that a little bit. So all of my actual family, they all have different last names. <laughs> so like cruise team cruise is like mainly just my dad and my stepmom and uh you know I was like when I was growing up I was going from house to house in Pittsburgh like not house to house like I was I was just traveling house to house I mean like my dad <laughs> had his apartment and my mom had a place like 20 minutes north of town so I was just going back and forth on weekends and weekdays and whatnot and uh it made me who I am so, like, I don't relate to the Bravermans like that. Like, I'm not like, oh, I don't have this big, vast family thing. But you know what? There's a song by Kanye called Family Business where he's rapping about all his, his aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, it turns out he, that's not his family. This, he was like me. He was, like, alone and creative and weird. And he didn't really know what a family was like. So, so he was, like, in the studio. He had this beat and was, like, what is your family like? And the people in the studio were telling him and he was like rapping about it. So, oh, wow. So like, I relate to that. Like I'm watching this show, like, is that really what families are like? <laughs> like oh. what is, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's like this big ideal American family thing, but it's like, I wonder how many people live like that. I bet not that many. <laughs> really? <laughs> probably not, probably not too many, but I don't know. It's pretty idyllic. Well, and so your family now, I mean, I know that you're a young guy living it up, but you have like roommates. Do you consider your roommates family or anything? Or, or do you consider your friends family? Is it kind of like you're in that phase of your life kind of right now? Yeah, I definitely have like a vast like friend group in Wichita that I consider like family. It's mostly like artists and stuff. And uh, yeah, like, I don't know. That's I kind of had to build that family since like my family's so like split up right now like you know like you said I just I came to Wichita and I was like I kind of felt alone in this place because it's not very promising for artists you know at least you wouldn't think it would be but I like found that group that I needed to that like makes it like home and stuff so those people would be like my family like my album that I got and I'm not trying to plug it early or anything I'm just saying <laughs> all the people on it like most of them are like family even like this dude I don't even talk to anymore oh that's my estranged cousin <laughs> now in jail or some shit you know <laughs> uh, my I talk about that a little bit too like my friends are the family like I wrote my album as a party how I feel around you is a line so friends are family that's where I'm at like you said <laughs> that's the stage <laughs> It's a good stage to be in. I remember that time fondly, so really love that. Well, the last question we always ask our guests is, what is your history with the show Parenthood? So I'm not going to lie. 
I'm just now being inducted into the family. Okay. <laughs> I've seen the first three episodes and then the second season, episode eight. I've seen those episodes. I like the show. I'm just like at a stage in my life right now where it's not as relatable. I feel like this is when I'm like 35, 40, I'm going to love this show like so much. <laughs> and like, no, I'm that... sure you can love it earlier than that, but like, it's just like less relatable. What were you saying? No, that makes perfect sense. Well, and the reason I thought you might dig it is because, you know, one of the first things that you and I ever bonded over was Friday Night Lights, how we both yeah. love that show. But that makes sense that you were into that in high school because it's about high school. Yeah. And so I didn't even really think about that, how those are, you know, parenthood is maybe more relatable to people Caleb's of my age. Yeah. So. It's cool, though, because uh, I'm actually rewatching season five of Friday Night Lights right now or just the whole series but we're on season five with like a few of my roommates who had never seen it before and so i'm re-watching that and then i'm watching six feet under for the first time i'm on oh i love like, that show season three right now so it's weird being seeing these same actors and like you know the the tone and stuff the, the jason cadence and all that stuff just like transported into another world entirely yeah <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> Well, thank you so much for, you know, joining us and checking this show out and being part of this. I was really looking forward to having you on. So I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 8, If This Boat is a Rockin'. It was <laughs> written by Tyler Bensinger. It was directed by Allison Liddy Brown. And this episode aired on November 9th, 2010. And here's the NBC synopsis. Adam confronts a man in defense of Max. Crosby and Jasmine delve into domestic discussions, beginning with the selling of Crosby's boat. Meanwhile, Sarah and Gordon spend an afternoon together, which carries on until sunrise the next morning, creating tension with Amber and Drew. Elsewhere, Hattie discovers intriguing information about Alex. So I feel like let's just get the Gordon stuff out of the way. (laughs) First of all, he he imparts this nugget of wisdom to Sarah. The shoe business is hell, Sarah. The shoe business is hell, Sarah. It's a little hard to hear because she's talking over him. All I have to say is, you know, watching TV about it isn't a picnic either. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. We finally get some resolution to this clicker idea. And it, it tanks, which is surprising. I thought it was a shoe-in. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I actually felt a little ju- uh, justified. You remember, like, we were saying how we thought it was a terrible idea at the beginning of the season. And now it turns out other people do, too. It was like, I mean, yeah, nobody. Yeah. I, yeah, when I was listening to that episode of you saying that, I just never expected for this to happen. Like I never expected to tune into parenthood and they're talking about a clicker shoe, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So let's go on to something a little more interesting about this story, which is sexual harassment. The last time I was in a limo was 11th grade and Danny Zelkin had saved up his grocery delivery money for a year to get a limo to take me to junior prom. And we never even went to the dance. We just drove and drove, we drove all the way to Napa. We opened up the roof and we looked at the stars. That's it? That's it. How far did he get? What? Well, you know, it was prom night after all. He got to second base, as I remember. The guy delivered groceries for a year and rented a limo for you and all he got was second base? I mean, uh... Um, hello, he got to second base with, you know. <laughs> Sarah Braverman. <laughs> I know Melissa has thoughts. 
Oh my God, I have so many thoughts. I <laughs> was so grossed out by that whole way of thinking that like, you know, if somebody pays for something, then you owe them sex. And for him to say this like in a flirty manner when he's talking about like high school, I have, I especially found that gross. Like the idea that he thought like 16-year-old Sarah like owed <laughs> this boy sex, you know, that he's like probably this 40 something year old man who still looks back on high school as a time where girls should sleep with you. If you And I know that's, I'm sure I'm making it more insidious than he intended it, mm. but I hated that. It really made me uncomfortable. Yeah. He's a bald one. So like immediately it seemed a little sleazy in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like, totally. I, I was actually watching this and I was like, oh my God, like, why is she even into like, Mr. I'm obviously, I've obviously had work done Baldwin. Like, what is going on? Here? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Later when she's describing him to her mom and she has this whole list, I'm like, who are you talking about? He's great and sweet. I'm like, you're not describing this asshole. <laughs> I just don't understand. <laughs> well, and in the context of what they're doing at that moment when he has swept her away in a limo and all the stuff, it just makes it abundantly clear that he thinks he's now going to deserve something for what mm -hmm. he's done, which, you know, to be fair, I think she totally thinks too. Like I, yeah, I think they're on the same wavelength as to where this is heading. But I think if she were to change her mind, this reveals he might feel like she like reneged on some contract yeah, I don't know. And yeah. on one hand, I think there is a sort of, if not transactional aspect to relationships, there is some understanding of like, if I invest something, I should expect a return on that investment. But um, it is gross. I'm not saying yeah. that's a good way to approach things. But if a woman's been sleeping with a man for two years and he doesn't buy her anything on Valentine's, she might be upset, too. Maybe. I don't. Yeah, I guess it all just depends on the relationship, though, right? Like, Mark and I don't think of things like that. Like, I, I don't I don't really we don't celebrate Valentine's Day, for example. But I mean, we like to go on dates, you know, like we'll like find something to do that we both really love. And so I, I don't know. I think something else that I found off putting about his reaction to that scene was her story and the way she told it was kind of beautiful. Like that this, she remembered fondly this boy who saved up for a year to take <laughs> her on this date and they drove around. They looked at the stars. It was kind of pure in a way. And all Gordon could think of was how far did he get? And I'm like, oh, that's a really shallow understanding of relationships and, and love like, or, or whatever that was for her. Maybe that wasn't love, but like something, yeah, kind of beautiful. And I felt like he just kind of grossed it up mm. i don't know yeah That's he put true. that little baldwin twist on it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> absolutely with that little growl in his voice you know he's just like oh. grimacing and stuff <laughs> sometimes people's de his delivery it almost feels like a caricature of a baldwin oh. yes. like like when he's showing her the book of shoe ideas and she says did any of these get made and he says not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Are you real? Are you for real right now? He's, You're doing yeah. an Alec Baldwin, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his whole life he's been doing an Alec Baldwin. Just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I hope he never listens to this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> <William> Baldwin. <laughs> well, and he's he, like, I, at least I've been saying, I feel like he's playing the role. Well, yeah. I think that, I think this is who this character is supposed to be. Yeah. So I at least don't ever really mean it as a knock against the actor. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's just a shame that he's really good at playing someone sleazy and yeah. He looks like a falcon. Something about him, I could. Eat. <laughs> he's a bald, bald when a bald eagle. Mm. Well, now I'm curious about your opinions on Sarah sneaking in the next morning because I I get that what she did was wrong, staying out all night, not telling anyone. And yet I like couldn't stop myself from feeling like everyone was overreacting. They were ridiculous. <laughs> I was ri- I was like pissed off watching their reactions. Really? Even though this guy sucks, clearly. It was like, yo, <laughs> like why <laughs> this is weird. Like this behavior that they have about this, like something about it. Did it strike you as judgmental or like slut shaming or something? It felt uh, like a little bit like that, but I was more mad at like the tone that they presented it with. I was like, just let her, let her live, yo. <laughs> yeah, she, well, she clearly knew she had, you know, she says, like, I, I absolutely did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. She's not trying to shirk responsibility for it. I, the only theory I have as to why I just was a little, it wasn't quite landing with me, is how did they not realize before they went to sleep that something was up? Like, is she, did they think it was normal for her not to be home and not to have heard from her at like 10 or 11 or 12 the mm. night before. Why is it only at six in the morning they're realizing, why haven't we heard from her? Yeah. And huh. so maybe yeah. that was part of it. It's not that I, because I don't agree with Sarah. I don't think that like Sarah was right and they were wrong. No, she totally was wrong. Just call someone and say, I'm out with my boss. We traveled <laughs> or I, I don't know. Just so they know you're not dead. Yeah, that's true. I, I didn't even think of it like that. And the reason why I didn't think of it like that is because I'm 25 and I do things like that. So <laughs> I was just like, come on now. That's life, yo. <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, you know, the especially like the dude, like her son, like, it just kind of the way that the son was reacting seemed very pathetic <laughs> to me. Oh man, <laughs> I was See, I was really harsh with the situation though. <laughs> I'm kind of the opposite. I totally got where um, Amber and Drew were coming from. Mm-hmm. I was like, that would be really scary. They probably just were imagining her in some sort of accident or something. Yeah. You know, I I just they went straight to the worst place. Yeah. And the thing. Okay, so Caleb Which would make sense given their history with like their dad, probably. They have yeah. one parent yeah. already who's really unreliable. That makes sense. Yeah. But like what's interesting is Caleb, you were just kind of poking holes in the logic, and I hadn't thought of any of that. But the one I did think of was I was like, why didn't she answer her phone? Like she wakes up and she's like, Oh my god, it's 4 30. We have to get back. And then when Drew realizes she's gone, he's like, It's light out. And I'm like, Well, it's certainly not still 4 30. Where were they? How long did it take them to get <laughs> home? And I'm like, why didn't she answer her phone when Drew called? Like she wasn't asleep at that point, I didn't think. So I was just very confused, oh, you know, like yeah. why is it light out? Like I think it would have made more sense if he had woken up at 4 30 when she you know instead of saying it's light out. So yeah. I, anyway. When I think it might have all been more effective if we still had like 
kind of the scene with Amber and Drew where he comes into her bedroom, but that it's nighttime. Yeah. And he says, why isn't mom home yet? Have you heard from her? And then maybe you like see them texting her or calling her. Yeah. And she's like literally having sex at that moment and just doesn't see her phone. Yeah. yeah. It would have been more effective. And, and then she yeah. falls asleep. And then, and then for her to come home and them to all be in tears, then it makes sense of like, oh, they've been up all night yeah. worrying about her. Yeah. This way, it just, I don't know. For me, like, it felt like kind of lazy writing, like, or just like they edited scenes out that, like, for time or something. But it just made it seem really, their reactions didn't make any sense to me. And it's obviously because I'm not putting it in perspective of, like, being real life. I was watching it like a TV show. So it was told me, if I was, like, living in that situation, I'd be freaking out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was just watching it and like I was kind of judging the performance and I was like, there's something off. And it's probably the writing more than the acting, but I was like, but then they were being just super weird. Like it was a very weird scene the next day, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I don't know. I I love it when when Amber has the high ground and when Mae Whitman gets to be like super dramatic. I w- I, I think that might be why I liked it. I yeah, it was it was fun. And those role reversals of her being like the mother and and Sarah being the, you know, teenage daughter sneaking in was kind of satisfying for me. So, Adam hears about it because he says that the parents called him. And there was just a little bit at his office the next day that I thought was interesting. First of all, I swear the architecture of his office changes every time we see it. (laughs) (laughs) Like sometimes there's, he's at the end of a hallway with no one else around. And then this time I felt like the walls were made of glass and you could see lots of people on every side of his office. Like he was in a fishbowl. Huh. I don't know. You keep redesigning your building. But um, she starts to say something about it and he says, you know what? whatever you do with Gordon is your business. I felt like was the gist of what he was saying. And for a second, I thought, is he about to set a boundary with her? (laughs) Because I actually think that would be really great. If Adam's whole approach to this was, you're right. Whatever you do with Gordon is your business. Leave me entirely out of it. Yes. (laughs) And then Crosby walked in and they never got to finish the discussion. (laughs) Yeah. I really loved that scene where Crosby comes in because it's like, Sarah and Adam are like bickering with each other. And then when Crosby comes in and starts talking about how his houseboat makes him like Neil Armstrong. (laughs) And then they (laughs) like stop bickering with each other to make fun of Crosby for a while. And then when Crosby leaves, they're back to bickering (laughs) with each other. And I just love that (laughs) dynamic. It was great. And then he, I I thought it was funny. He comes in and expects to be like treated with respect and like, they're like talking about real stuff. And he's like, my houseboat. <laughs> and he's like being a punk about it. Like I was like, this, this scene is something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa, you mentioned this scene earlier w- between Sarah and Camille. Mm. And I feel like it's the first time we really get the character's thoughts on Gordon and this budding relationship. So what's the story with this guy, Gordon? know he's really great he's you know he runs this company he travels he's funny he's smart he he likes me mom he's sweet of course he's sweet because that's what you deserve yeah (laughs) they just don't get it though huh why don't they understand? Because they're brats. 
That's all. They are really rotten little brats. <laughs> I just love my rotten little brats. Of course you do. Okay, that scene where they're like calling them rotten little brats, but obviously they're joking because like literally Amber is like sewing a scarf and then she's like putting it around her brother's <laughs> face. That little scene reminded me of how much I love Amber and Drew like together. I think they are the sweetest little brother sister duo on the planet. Like that they always I don't think they ever fight for real or anything. They're just so massively supportive of each other. It's just so cute. Anyway, that's my favorite thing about that scene. Yeah. I just want to agree with you from earlier that I feel like Sarah's description <laughs> is totally inaccurate. Yeah. Well, not totally. He runs this company. True. That's just a fact. Except Adam really runs it. You know, he just well, yeah, runs it of. in name. She's, she says he's smart. I think that's probably true. He does travel. Yeah. What stands out to me, though, is that the like the culminating thing she says about him is he likes me, mom. And I think that's just a real sign of what I think is wrong with this relationship. That I, I think the biggest thing that draws her to him is that he is interested in her. And I think she thinks he's the type of person who wouldn't ever be. And so it's like weirdly validating for her. And like, of course, you should be in a relationship with someone who likes you. <laughs> like, that is a prerequisite. Yeah. But oddly, I think it shouldn't be the number one thing that you like about them yeah. is that they like you too is that they like me you should feel like of course they would like you you know like I, I how do I put that like I sort of balk when people are like oh and I'm so lucky because he <laughs> like you know he loves me or is because I'm like well yes you're lucky but but in a good relationship, you're both lucky. Like you both feel like you lucked out mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and you're both right in a good relationship, you know? Um, it shouldn't just be one person feeling grateful for the other. Yeah, or something. I worry that she feels like yeah. he's doing her a favor yes. by liking her. Yeah. Mm. And mm. that's not that's not good. And yet I, I feel like that totally tracks with everything we've seen. Yeah. That he represent he's a symbol of something that she thinks she doesn't have access to. And then that he's extending access feels like something she just can't pass up. Yeah. So like forklift Mike be damned. Yeah. Mark Sear be damned. I gotta get while the getting's good. Yeah, yeah. I got this oily CEO type, yeah. which I don't get at all. Her, her, She's like, he's really sweet. I'm like, what have we seen from him that's sweet? Anyway, yeah, nothing. And yet I also feel like Camille is being very supportive. I mean, she doesn't know any better because she hasn't met him. Mm -hmm. And so I say kudos to Camille for at least giving Sarah like a platform to say, articulate your reasons to me, why you like this guy and like free of judgment, which, you know, she gets from Adam or obviously from her kids. Now it's nice that someone's giving her that space to true. Do Cause it's not going to be um, us. We're very judgy about that. <laughs> yeah. But I really wish that Sarah could feel deserving of different qualities in a man, like internal things versus external things. And that she would care about how he makes her feel instead of how he makes her look. Okay. Because I think it it's like, oh, if I'm with him, people will stop thinking I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not a reason to be with someone. I thought I was going a different direction. I thought she was going to be like calling her out too. I was like, oh, <laughs> of course she's sweet, honey. She's He's manipulating you into liking it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I thought was, I was like, I'm about to be like, this is about to be the biggest call out ever. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, when she says that's what you deserve, yeah. Sarah's response is, 
Yeah. And it is the least convincing yeah <laughs> I've ever heard, which is so sad. Yeah. But I feel sad. like it's so true that Sarah doesn't believe she deserves someone who's sweet to her. Mm-hmm. And he isn't actually. Yeah. I don't think. We've already seen from the, you know, grocery story. He thinks sweetness is something you invest in order to get what you want out of yeah. it. Yeah. Rather than that's just his nature. Right. Yeah. That whole scene yeah. too, I didn't say it, but it felt like, he was like setting up the blueprint. Like he was like, this is what's going to happen tonight. Just so you know, like, yeah. Cause he was like, yeah. you didn't give him anything. Like <laughs> it's like, come on now. Like kind of like pressuring her into doing that. So. Yeah. And the fact that he's her boss, it, it's oh, just massively problematic. Yeah. So, and and yeah. the fact that, uh, that all these firings have happened, I was like, but he can still hire a sister to this place. What is going on here? <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I'm giving that. <laughs> And that they just all go like that. Yeah. While all these firings are going out, um, Adam had such a good point when he was like, it's kind of gross that you guys left to go get drunk. And, you know, in the middle of the day yeah. while other people are losing their jobs and stuff, it's, it felt like real class, you know, divide or yeah. something. Yeah. And also it didn't occur to me until this moment, she got hired as an intern because of this shoe clicker idea and that they were developing her idea. Oh. Now that the idea is dead, does she still get to work there? I guess. And like, and also because, you know, but she shouldn't let people go. So why is she the new person? Like, why is she the, like a priority still? Like, I, I feel bad. Saying- well, they did say in a previous episode that she doesn't make enough to save them any money by finding oh. her. Oh, I see. But still, it's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the fact that her idea didn't work. Yeah, maybe she shouldn't still have a job if that's why she was brought on. But then that feels kind of gross. Like, yeah, this oh, is harsh. Yeah. Got one, I'm, just yeah. done, I'm just done with it. That's really why I want her to lose her job. Yeah. <laughs> I really like, never care about the shoe stuff. And it just feels go like. Go back it, to the bar. Yeah. That was more interesting. That why was, can't they yeah. both lose their job? Yeah, exactly. The shoe place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's ditch this. Yes. Um, I'm gonna, let's move to the, I felt like the most the juiciest, that sounds shallow, the most rewarding storyline of this episode, which is Adam's. What is your problem? I don't have a problem. No, you do have a problem. No, no, hey, you can't read. It's 10 items. The kid of yours has a problem. No, my son does. You should train him better or something. Train him better? What is that supposed to mean? Look, I, I feel sorry for you, okay? You feel sorry for yeah, me? Yeah, because you got a burden. Because he's a retard. I loved the music behind that whole scene. I thought that was really effective. And it was kind of like an unexpected choice, I thought, of that. I don't know. Like, it wasn't just the most... It's like a warrior. Or... Yeah, or something. I don't know. I just thought it was really great. I is loved that, it. Is it, like, supposed to be supermarket music? or? <laughs> <laughs> I bet not. Like, it's not Wonderwall or, or something like that. Um, I figured that's what's always playing at, like, Dylan's when I'm walking around, so... <laughs> I would think that was so great if that happened to be the the song that was playing when it he punched a guy. It should have been like like a two thousand and two pop jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably so. Like, give me some Avril Lavigne. Sorry, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it is complicated. <laughs> I found really fascinating in that exchange that the first two things the guy says to Adam: "Your kid has a problem." And he needs to be trained. Those are things Adam has said. In a roundabout way, this scene actually made me think more of Adam. Because when that guy said those things, Adam was visibly upset. I mean, he was already upset when it started. 
But specifically those things that the guy said, you could see that they angered Adam and wounded him. Mm. And, you know, maybe it's just by then he's in defensive mode. But to me, it felt like it showed a difference between the things you think in private when you're like with your wife and venting about the challenges you face and then your actual opinions. When he's actually hearing that come out of someone's mouth, Mm -hmm. then he can realize, oh, that's a horrible thing to think. Yeah. But when I'm dealing with it, yeah, I might might find my path through some of those thoughts. And also, like, it felt like maybe, like, that character was supposed to represent, like, his troubles with himself towards the situation briefly. Like, not necessarily exactly, but... But, like, in a way, like, he had to look at his past self and, like, showed his, yeah. like, dark side in a way. And more than one way, because he obviously punched the dude in the face. But <laughs> uh, It's funny. I wrote down, man, that scene hits hard. And I didn't realize until now <laughs> it was a total pun there. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean it. You know, he obviously, Adam, has never called Max that word. Mm-hmm. But he has used the phrase short bus, which Caleb and I called out. Uh, um, and so it's interesting. In a way, he, he kind of hit all three things yeah. in, a, in a roundabout way. Since short yeah. bus yeah. almost feels like he intended it as... You know, that's how he was using yeah. it. So anyway, this is such an interesting way to frame this story, that the idea that he's sort of looking down his past self, things he's said. And some of them really recent. I mean, the, <laughs> the comment about being trained, that was like, what, two episodes ago? Three Pre- episodes? Pretty recently. Maybe longer, wow. but it was this season. I think it was 203. Yeah. So. I loved this little scene between Zeke and Camille sort of as like parents strategizing about what was happening with one of their kids. I can't even imagine Adam reacting that way. I mean, I just kept going on and on about that clicker shoe thing, you know? I don't maybe upset him. Or oh, something. no, it'd take a whole lot more than that to make Adam punch someone. Adam doesn't punch people. You punch people. Yeah. He's under a lot of pressure at work. He's He's got Max to deal with, you know. Yeah, well, then you need to talk to him. Tried talking to him. He didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to hear what I had to say. Well, try again. You know, I don't even think this scene is really anything special. But I think just maybe because of the situations we've seen them in recently seeing them as a team. Oh yeah. So refreshing. And like just listening to it now, the things Zeke lists off about Adam, that he's under pressure at work, that he has Max to deal with. He's an involved father because he's, he is right on both points. You know, when Adam vents later about things, he's angry about, it's exactly what Zeke thought it was. He just didn't know that one incident. So Zeke is, is really tuned in. And I also loved Camille's, inside of like Adam doesn't punch people you punch yeah. people and I loved that he didn't he wasn't even offended by it because <laughs> it's, it's just accurate she knows him really well and he's not gonna argue with it yeah <laughs> it's funny because that feels like a very like Holly McLean moment like you know <laughs> like, you, like it feels like Die Hard 1 you know I, he doesn't punch people you do and he's like I did just kill everybody who was trying to like <laughs> <laughs> oh my god is she playing the same part and is Zeke basically John McClane well she does disappear in those movies so maybe she just gets married to another John McClane type <laughs> god that's funny that scene also reminds me of the parenthood movie in that scene between Gil and Frank 
when Frank says it never ends, Mm -hmm. even when you're old, your kids are still as much your kids as they were when they were like five years old. The way they were talking about Adam, it seemed like, oh, something's wrong with our boy. Yeah. You know, like as if he was a little kid mm. rather than a 40 year old. <laughs> but it was it was really sweet that they still felt like, oh, we need to address something. How can we help? What can we do? What's interesting, yeah. it feels like all of the major siblings that are like predominant in this episode, they're all like flashing back to their like childhood selves in a way like that's a theme of the episode i think or like left having to let go of that in some way and like he never expressed that kind of behavior in his past and now as a 40 year old man he's <laughs> like a child he never was <laughs> yeah well that's how good. zeke tells adam that he was always in control mm-hmm. even when he was a little kid and that he really admired him for that which leads to one of my favorite adam scenes from the whole series. Wow. There's t- there's lots of things I don't remember about specific episodes. I remembered this scene vividly. And before I watched it, I knew, oh, this is the one with Adam on the houseboat venting about how angry he is. It makes me cry still every time I watch it. I think it's so wonderful. I guess somebody had to be in control, right? I, mean, I was just trying to balance you out, you know, because you were just explosive all the time. I mean, you'd even yell at a stranger. Remember that waitress who spilled the soup in your lap? You know, or when Crosby broke those black chess pieces made out of onyx, you know, you were so enraged about. Or when Sarah and Seth came home stoned at 3 a.m. from that concert. I mean, you went berserk on that guy. (laughs) Ty's just trying not to be like you, so the fact that you admire that is pretty funny. But now I'm the angry guy. You know, you know, I'm angry at everything. And you know, I'm, I'm angry that I had to fire people at work because of the economy, because I work for a jackass who's been promising me for 15 years that he's going to, you know, give me part ownership of the company, and he never will. You know, I'm, I'm pissed off that I have to hold Sarah's hand, that she can't go and find a job on her own. You know, I'm, I'm pissed off I can't do more for my son. I'm pissed off that he has Asperger's. I'm pissed off that you admire me for being in control because I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about any of it. I can't save those people's jobs. I can't make my kid not have Asperger's. I can't keep some asshole from calling him a retard in the supermarket. So what good does it do me to control my feelings? And honestly, it felt good when I hit that guy. It felt good not to be in control. I'm just angry all the time. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. You know, I can't go around punching people in supermarkets. I got your back. So like I said, that's one of my favorite Adam scenes, the whole series. I think it just so poignantly shows the cost of being the like, quote, good guy, always understanding, 
you know, Zeke has said before that Adam's always fixing people. Gordon has said before that Adam always manages things. And like maybe those are just fancy ways of saying he sublimates his anger or stress or resentment. And I, I, I included the last line of that scene because I think it's really fitting in a way that after he has like unloaded all this stuff, he says, I'm going to go pack some things up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what, like all of your feelings? <laughs> <laughs> and as magnificent as Peter Krause is, in some ways I feel like Craig T. Nelson is actually the star of that scene. And I notice when he reveals what prompted the punch in the supermarket, the camera is on Zeke, mm-hmm. not on Adam. And Zeke like doesn't even move a muscle. Mm. And yet it makes such a big impact watching his face as he takes that in. And then I just loved at the end, like what more could you want a parent to say than I've got your back? I think my parents are great parents. And if I had to boil down why, why do I think they're good parents? It might be that I know they've got my back always. It just helps as you're going through life to know like it's not me versus life. I've got some other people on my team at least. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I thought it was interesting how it's like showing like, that like trauma almost that like being that enraged, violent, like personality you can do to like your kids and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but what's funny to me, and this is kind of ridiculous, but the first glimpse I've ever had of Adam was just him screaming at this dude on the baseball field. Like I just remember <laughs> that scene. So I'm like, is he always, are they just saying that sports, oh, you can let all that out in sports. That's just the rules of the game, but like he doesn't do it anywhere else. Is that like a critique on like American society in a way? (laughs) You're right, though. He gets kicked out of the game and isn't allowed to be the coach anymore. So it's not like this is the first outburst he's ever had. He was super enraged. (laughs) Yeah. But that was only in that context, though, like in normal life, I guess. I do think you're right. Like sports are sort of. Like men can be men, like an approved outlet. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, men aren't allowed to cry, um, you know, societally. But you are allowed to cry if your team loses a game or the Super yeah. Bowl. Like that's an exception. So it's like, sure. yeah, it's isn't it really messed up that like you're allowed yeah. to like be emotional, <laughs> but only if it's about this pretend game. If it's real yeah. life, you got to bottle that shit up. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, and isn't the idea of not wanting to be like your father, isn't that also in that scene in the Parenthood movie? Yeah. Doesn't Gil say, like, I was just trying not to be like you? Yes, he does. Mm. And uh, that's in the pilot, too. Adam says it to Zeke in the pilot that that's really funny that you say you like that because I was just trying to be the opposite of you. So that's something that they hit on more than once, which I don't think is lazy writing. I think that's reflective of life. Like, you come back to these things in your life, you revisit them. And I think it especially makes sense that it would be that way with the oldest and with a boy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you repeat the cycle until you learn it kind of. So I guess they'll just keep showing up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was such a heavy storyline, but I thought it was beautifully done all the way around. And I loved that it ended in a way that was totally light. Why didn't you tell me this? I was embarrassed. You don't have to be embarrassed with me. I'm your wife, you know? I don't know what's going on, Christina. I'm just, I'm angry all the time, and I'm angry for being angry, but... I'm under all the stress, and I know that's no excuse, but... You know what the scary thing is? Hmm. 
felt great. It felt really great. It's like a little bit of justice. You know, maybe I'm a little more like my dad than I want to admit. Oh, no. No, no, no. You're not like your dad. Honey, you are nothing like your dad. Okay? I just, I... I want you to be able to tell me everything, okay? Always, even if it's not pretty and... Hey, sluggo. <laughs> you hit him. <laughs> oh, but that wasn't even the part I meant. I meant when he starts impersonating his father. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have that too. Oh, my God. I separated them. The Sluggo thing was great, but this. Zeke Braverman, oh. how are you doing? Oh, no. See, that's what I'm saying. Uh, Christina, is, have no. I ever told you no. about R&R &R and That is freaky and it's time. not sexy. I'm not listening to you. I'll tell you about stress and tension. Honey. I've been out on the front lines. Stop it. Okay? What are you doing? Hey. I love you. Uh, I agree with her. It is not sexy to no. imitate someone's father-in-law <laughs> while you're like starting to make out with her. No, but it was so funny and it was, it was such a relief after all this heaviness, you know, and I thought it wasn't just nice for the audience to get a relief. I thought that it was also really indicative of his relationship with Christina. It is so healthy and good, really. And, and like he's able to kind of get it out, have some catharsis, which I don't think he's able to do with his dad. He's still upset after his conversation mm -hmm. with his dad. Even though his dad is really supportive, they have all that trauma and baggage behind them that yeah. even his dad saying one supportive thing, it can't counteract an entire childhood of him probably not feeling supported by his dad. But since I imagine the times he hasn't felt supported by his wife are incredibly rare, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Once he talks to her... It ends with laughter. Like it ends with her like making a joke, calling him sluggo. It makes him laugh. And then he's able to in turn, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. make the joke about being like his dad. And then, yeah, it's not sexy. <laughs> I, I assume once they do it, he's like dropping that. <laughs> but like <laughs> but, but, dear God. <laughs> dear <I> God. <laughs> but it's like they're laughing together. And like that's beautiful after a whole episode of him feeling completely wretched you know it's it's beautiful i don't know that's funny there was a friday night lights moment in there too where like they're having this like discussion and then he's like it was her in this instance but in the show he's always like i want to fool around you know <laughs> yeah like, straight up <laughs> they kind of are the coach and tammy of of this show oh yeah he yeah. had to make that spill over of course <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> he's like this is the best dynamic i've ever seen <laughs> I wonder if Jason Kadams has a great marriage. I if wonder. That's his inspiration for all of these arguably idealized, although, you know, I don't think they're idealized because it's not like they never have problems. Mm -hmm. They just deal with them really well. And I love what she said about like, you don't have to be embarrassed with me. I'm your wife. As someone who hasn't been married before, I sort of feel like I'm going to keep that in mind for when I'm evaluating <laughs> if the person I want to marry is the right person to marry? Yeah. Is it someone that it's almost impossible for me to be embarrassed around? Or if not em embarrassed, know that they're, that it's safe. You know, mm -hmm. even if I'm embarrassed, I'm not going to be judged. I will. That's one of my favorite things about Mark. You know, before I was with him, I was embarrassed in every relationship I ever had. <laughs> like I was, I was always trying to be 
like my best self, like not in a kind way, but in a like made up and and never burping or you know like uh, just like not not human almost in a Sarah, way. In a Sarah Gordon yeah. Way. yes yeah yeah I really felt like it was like except not your boss right right not like that but like like I had to be some version of like myself that was shined up or something and um I don't know I very quickly learned with Mark that um I didn't have to do that and and that I can just be a person. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, and the, it's such a relief. It's just it's really nice. Um you know, sometimes we'll get dressed up and we'll like go out to dinner <laughs> together, like we'll go have a date or something like that. But like around the house if I'm just in my sweats and stuff, it's you know, it's it's not like that's a problem. <laughs> it's not like, I don't know. That might sound silly. Maybe all marriages are like that, but I just feel very comfortable. And it's I really- mean, you guys do have like the closest thing to like a TV marriage I've ever seen. Aww. You know how they're like <laughs> like an ideal you know, how the like parenthood or like Friday night lights, it's like, but that's the perfect marriage. Like marriage <laughs> I haven't seen most marriages like that. So like you guys have the best example of that I've ever seen in real life, so. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. <laughs> I love that. I also loved in that scene with Christina that Adam said that he was both embarrassed by the incident and that it made him feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a, a really true kind of duality. And this is odd, but recently in my life, I've felt stressed by a lot of things and I, I've like entertained thoughts about telling people off in my (laughs) life who I don't really want anything to do with anymore. Fun. And the idea is, is like tempting on one hand and it makes me feel ridiculous (laughs) on another hand because it doesn't feel like who I am. Like it feels like, Oh, I would love to be that kind of person, but who am I fooling? I'm not that kind of person. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, but that is both the appeal of that and the deterrent. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to that. Like I, when I used to work at pizza hut, I used to just like be in my car and be like, I quit, man. You pushed (laughs) now. I like, (laughs) it seems like, wouldn't that feel so great? (laughs) At least with me, I imagine it would feel great (laughs) in the moment. And then I would immediately be overcome with guilt and regret. Yeah. Like, damn, I really needed the tip money, huh? You know, that's out of a job. Oh man, that's this good. episode on the DVD had commentary from Peter Krause and from the director of the episode, Allison Liddy Brown. And in that scene with Adam and Christina, they noted that him not telling her concerned her far more than him actually being violent with someone. Yeah. And I got that when I watched it, but just some, something about hearing them observe that out loud and say it, it really struck me as an astute observation. Well, and especially once she hears why he hit him. Yeah. It's like, oh, that adds up. Yes. Okay. So I don't have to be so concerned that you did something so out of character because once I have all the information, it's maybe really not that out of character. Yeah. But what is out of character is you keeping something from me. Yes. She pretty much was like, I would have hit him too. Yeah. Let's move on to another really satisfying storyline, I thought, in a totally different way. Alex and Hattie. Oh my God. I'm so on board. I love them. I am on board <laughs> too. I think they have great chemistry. Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. And I love how even like is this his second this is only his it's second only episode. It's only his second isn't episode. It? 
it feels like he's been around a long time yeah. and it feels like they have evolved so much, even though it's sort of like, oh, they hated each other last episode and now they seem to really like each other. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's evolution or just different, but yeah. it's great. I noted, okay, this is really weird. This is me maybe watching too closely. But when the little girl that they're helping move gives him the purple lanyard that she made, he says, purple is my favorite color. First of all, purple is my favorite color, too. Okay. But then I noticed in that scene, Hattie had purple on the top of her sweater that she was wearing. Alex was wearing a purple shirt. When Hattie goes home late, Christina is wearing purple. And then when I did my second watch, I just noticed everything purple in the episode. It's all over the place. And I don't know if that was like a choice that maybe production design and wardrobe made or if it was just like if you started any episode and chose a color to notice everywhere, maybe you'd notice it everywhere. Maybe it's maybe. like red in the sixth sense. It's symbolic. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It could be like, like in Breaking Bad, like the colors are very, you notice them a lot. But like Vince Gilligan behind the scenes was like, taking hours to pick like colors for clothes. He was like, he needs to wear this <laughs> shade of gray in this scene because it represents this. Maybe the set designer was like, you know what? I got some ideas today. <laughs> script, I, I noticed the purple line. I got you. Hold up. <laughs> I feel like it might've been intentional. Cause I, I mean, I'm always like, I feel if I yeah. were like working in wardrobe and read a script and they mentioned a color, I think I would, Run with in it? trying to be good at my job, try and, <laughs> you know, pull out a thread of purple. I don't know. Thread. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, you hear the air horn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really do think that Hattie and Alex have, well, it's weird. I think they have good chemistry, but I also think that maybe Sarah Ramos is just insanely good at playing this like smitten teenager. Oh, you are so much the smitten kitten. In this episode, I feel like she is just glowing <laughs> and it feels so authentic and so great. I mean, it's Michael B. Jordan. Who wouldn't glow? Yeah. True, who wouldn't glow? Come on. <laughs> no, I was just thinking this day has been really, really great. Huh? Like this is the day that this family's life changed right i just feel like it meant something and i don't want to spend like any more time worrying about things that don't matter like school stuff like dances and grades it's, it's meaningless what you're doing is not meaningless no i know i know that obviously you're just... so listen you have a bright future you're gonna be somebody's boss one day student government right. come on oh all right yeah of course right. i'm pretty sure that you got straight a's in school yeah, wow, great. Super predictable. Straight A's, got a B in my sixth grade math and science class. Oh, you're just dangerous, huh? Well, Living please, life on why, edge. why do you want me to tell you things so you can, like, make fun of no, me? No, because not fair. you remember the first time that you got a B. You're one and only. I know, that's what I mean. Why? All right, well, I want you to take this, all right? And remember today, because today matters. It does. I know. You did a lot of good work. I know. You helped out. I know. You moved couches. I know. I just mean you put a lanyard around my neck. 
That is so sweet. It's it's adorable. And just like the way she's like kind of embarrassed, but so charmed. (laughs) And uh, it also weirdly made me think of this Billy Collins poem that Melissa exposed me to, The Lanyard, which (laughs) if anyone doesn't know it, Look up The Lanyard by Billy Collins. You should if hear you can, him read it. Find a video of him reading it's it, which funny. you can absolutely find on YouTube. <laughs> it's so funny, but also so beautiful and sweet. And it deals with parenthood. Yeah. It does. Um, anyway. Well, one of my favorite things about Alex and Hattie in this episode, like something that I, I don't love, but I find totally believable, is the way that she gets so caught up in what he's doing and what he's about that she really dismisses her own stuff. She does it in this scene and she does it in an earlier scene where she's like student government. It's stupid. You know, both times he's like, it's not stupid. That's great. I I love that. He doesn't let her do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and while I hate that she does it, I think I'm glad the show does that because I think it's a really believable thing for a teenager, maybe especially a teenage girl to do, um, is to like downplay her own interests and who she Mm -hmm. is um, once she looks at it through the lens of what a boy might think. And I think that it's proof that he's a really good one, that he doesn't let her do that. I, I think that's just really beautiful. I took note of that too. And also that she, in the previous episode, you know, she was sort of, combative about the idea of like confronting her privilege. Mm -hmm. She's like, do you think I'm just a privileged little white girl? And he did kind of, (laughs) and they both owned it. But now I think just as she is being exposed to a world outside of that bubble that she lives in, like you said, I think it's a really believable thing that you might start to dismiss the things that are important to you. And I also like that he, you know, he last episode he was judging her for some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now he's he's like convincing her that the things that make her life privileged are not meaningless. No. And that there is a way to hold both things in your head at one time. Yeah. I also find it fascinating that I or I wonder to what degree this kind of awakening in her of things that feel meaningful how that's tied up with her feelings about him. Like, mm. does that stuff feel more meaningful because she associates it with this guy she likes? And also, does she like him more because he represents this feeling that she hasn't felt before of things seeming more significant and worthwhile and fulfilling? I would suspect both are true. And I don't even think those are necessarily unhealthy or bad. You know what I loved? I loved that after she kisses him and he like pulls away and she's obviously, you know, so embarrassed and she like kind of runs, you know, Mm. she walks, but she's like running. I love because I didn't quite remember how she was going to handle that. Like from my last rewatch, I just didn't quite remember the, the details of it. I loved I thought she might quit. Like, I thought she might be so embarrassed that she, when she was like, can I talk to you for a minute? I thought she might quit. Instead, I was like, oh, that is so mature that she's like, I yeah. still really want to help out and I'm I'm very sorry and that won't interfere. And I was like, man, what a mature 16-year-old. Yeah. Like, also, that's like, incredible. Compare and contrast with Sarah and Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, These They could Patty learn a thing this, or two. Like, eminently <laughs> adult way of handling it yeah it's just oh he said he likes me. <laughs> ryan what what were your thoughts on this whole storyline when you were saying that last thing about like the person who you know he's not letting her like downplay her personality in a way you told me a story once 
where you were doing things like that with Mark and Mark was like, wait, what do you don't like you are that like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I can't think of that exact story, but I, d- I do know that like it took me a long time to feel like I could be myself in a relationship. I used okay. to I used to feel like I was only good at being myself if I was alone. Mm. This might sound weird, but I I in all my past relationships before Mark, I was so like their opinion mattered so much to me that it sort of drowned out my own thoughts about myself or my own okay. opinions. And I think I used to date people who kind of let me do that, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they thought they were really special <laughs> and I was lucky to be with them. Uh. And, and so I, I don't know when I was with Mark though, I think he was really good at seeing when I would start to have a tendency to do that. And he would be like, no, the stuff you're into is, is great. It's what you're into. Like, don't, don't do that. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but I, I think maybe that was part of the reason I responded so much to, to yeah. Alex. Yeah. Just because, I, I don't think it goes without saying that someone responds the way he does when, you know, like, especially when they're that young, like yeah. I could see him being like, you're right. Student government doesn't matter compared to what we're doing here. Like I could yeah. see him getting really condescending and the mm-hmm. fact that he doesn't is lovely. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you're talking about the privilege thing. Cause like, I'm looking at this show like in a lens where like all these people are so privileged. Like I feel like, yeah. like I would be like, yeah, you student government sucks, bro. I'm like, no, <laughs> but watching as a viewer of the show, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. You all right about that. But not as the character. Like, I hope I wouldn't respond that way. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing I thought of in that scene that Ryan, you alluded to right before we started recording I wrote down, how old is Alex? Mm -hmm. Was he just kissed by a minor? And in that case, is he right to have stopped it? Because (laughs) I I don't think they've explicitly said how old he is. She does say later on that he's a high school dropout. Yeah. But I don't get the feeling that he's still high school age. I would guess that he's like 19 or 20. Yeah, Yeah, most likely. And she's 16. That's... Yeah. I mean... Especially when Michael B. Jordan's playing the role, I'm like, there's no way he's not 28 years old, you know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I wonder how old he actually was and how old Alex true. is. Yeah. Well, Michael B. Jordan is exactly one year younger than I am. And in 2010, when this aired, I would have been 24. Okay. So he was 23. I bet he was playing 19 or 20. That's yeah. my guess. Which, you know, I mean, when I was 16, I went to prom with a 20-year-old. It was just his friends. Um, but, mm. you know, I, I don't think it's insane or anything. Right. But I do think, yeah, you should have a conversation if you're going to get involved. And then when he said the thing about being a recovering alcoholic and that he was five months in recovery, I think I remember from my – I mean, my dad was an alcoholic. He wasn't when I was alive. He, like – I mean, you're always an alcoholic, but he never fell off the wagon and he uh, got sober before I was born is what Mm -hmm. I mean. But I do know enough that like you're not supposed to be in a romantic relationship for a year. Um, That's like one of the rules. So I actually thought that made a lot of sense when he said that. Like if he's really trying to be serious about following the program, I I think that's in the (laughs) that's what the program says. That's one of them. Wow. I'm an alcoholic. I've been in recovery for five months. And I'm telling you this because relationships, romantic relationships, just aren't good for me right now. 
Yeah, okay. I don't want you to take this the wrong way either because, because I like you. And it's not that you're not attractive because you are. You're really amazing, actually. It's just I'm not in a place to do anything about those feelings right now. Okay. You understand? Like. Uh. <laughs> Is that why you, you dropped out of school? Because of drinking? It's one of the reasons. Yeah. All right. And you, then you, you go to meetings. Meetings, I have a sponsor, work the program, the whole nine. It's a lot. Yeah. to write about this in my diary. I get a journal log. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dear diary, I talked to a dropout alcoholic. <laughs> Sorry, he was great. He was so nice. Really? I had no idea. Normal guy? Yeah, absolutely. I did another thing about the one-year relationship situation. I actually live with uh, my old roommate was uh, in the program and stuff, and I had no idea. I think he broke that rule. <laughs> well and you know now i'm now i'm second guessing myself like is that an official rule or is uh, that just what my dad did i feel like i've heard that yeah. before yeah i don't think my mom would mind me saying this because it's just part of their history together but my parents actually got divorced before i was born because of my dad's drinking and then he joined AA, you know, and, and worked the program and they, they waited the year and then they got remarried and then they had me. So I, that's at least why I thought it was a, a rule because they, they were really respectful of it because they wanted, you know, their second go round at marriage to be really successful. And it was yeah. so. It's a rule that makes, even if it's not official, I feel like it makes great sense. Yeah. yeah. Like focus on yourself, get, get right. Yeah. yeah. Or like making another person your savior. Oh like, yeah. Oh, I have to stay on the wagon so that I can mm. deserve her. Yeah. yeah. No, because she's going to have her own feelings. And if she needs to not be with you for her own health, you need to be able to have that not shatter you completely. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, with Hattie and Alex, I admired his honesty with her so much. Yeah. And I'm sure that is not an easy thing to confess to someone, especially someone that you're trying to impress in a way, you know, make a good impression on. And then like when Hattie says it's a lot, mm -hmm. I was like, man, she's only 16. That is a lot. Yeah. And then there's, all, there's that like long pause and Alex just says, yeah, it made my heart break for him because mm. it, in just in that one, yeah, I interpreted that as like he maybe feels like he's branded by mm. this label or like that he has all this baggage like, oh, yeah, someone might not want to date me because I'm a lot or I come with a lot. Mm -hmm. That would be horrible to carry around with you. And it also made me think of the musical version of Jagged Little Pill, which Melissa and I saw right at the end of 2019. <laughs> There's this housewife at the center of the show who is addicted to painkillers and she overdoses and goes to the hospital. What's and the matter, Mary Jane? This. Have a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the guy says, oh, sorry, I'm not the doctor. And um, <laughs> All the jagged little fill lines. <laughs> but um, her husband, I think, or some character is talking to the doctor and saying, you know, I didn't, 
I didn't know about this. I mean, she doesn't look like a drug addict. And the doctor says, what do you think a drug addict looks like? Yeah. And when Hattie at the end of that scene, like jokingly calls him a dropout alcoholic, I kind of felt like the point that they were making was that those words like dropout alcoholic immediately conjure up connotations that in this case, they don't fit with the person that she has come to know. Mm-hmm. And so maybe those connotations are unfair. You know, an alcoholic can be anybody. Yeah. yeah. A dropout can be anybody, you know, yeah. like yeah. really um, it's often about what kind of support you grew up with, you know, or didn't grow up with. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I let, you know, <laughs> I wasn't sure about that line where she was like, today I, <laughs> yeah. it, was a risky. it was a risky line that she said. <laughs> and I like that he countered that or, or whatever with, just a normal guy because yeah. he is just a normal and guy. And then she said, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. felt like they ended in a good place. It was nice. Now, Melissa, not to put you on the spot, but you've talked on here before that you have dated an alcoholic in the past. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Now, did you know that he was an alcoholic when you started dating or did he ever give you an Alex type <laughs> heads up? No, I knew. Also, he wasn't recovering. He was an active mm. <laughs> alcoholic. Um, but, you know, I just sort of overestimated my ability to help a person. And I thought, well, I'm really good for him. All it was it was pretty codependent. Like I went with him to his meetings and stuff. And, and I think I've mentioned that. And that's probably not good. And I I really felt like I couldn't go out with my friends for a night because then he would be alone and maybe he would drink. So I felt really like responsible for him in ways that that was that was a lot for a 19 year old. I was 19. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would be different to date someone in like Alex's situation, you know, someone who had really taken control of where they were. Cause, Oh, I went with, <laughs> I went with uh, my ex to his meetings, but those were court mandated. He had to go and he didn't really, he wasn't actually working the program. He was just signing in. So hmm. people knew he was there. Maybe I'm not allowed to talk about this because it's Alcoholics Anonymous. I just, <laughs> I'm not, you didn't say that his name was, <laughs> you're going to cut that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just bleep it out. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that his name was <laughs> <laughs> so I did that with her mom's age in one episode. <laughs> yeah. That's so my mom is <laughs> years old. I bet she would really appreciate that too. So and it, yeah. <laughs> well, on the commentary, they pointed out that Hattie, you know, not knowing this information, of course, her concern would be, oh, he stopped kissing me because he doesn't like me or he's not attracted to me or it's something wrong with me. And they're like, oh, you can see her whole body language change once she realizes, oh, he likes me. Okay, I can work with this. But, you know, really where they're left at the end of this episode is one of them is saying, I cannot date you. And it's for a really good reason. And yet I'm still like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens next. Can't wait for them to date. I guess I'm just saying like, yeah, I bet, I bet he's not going to be successful resisting. That seems to be where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> and now I feel sort of icky that I'm like really pumped about them dating because <laughs> it maybe seems like not the healthiest thing. Although at the same time, they do seem good for each other in the sense that they're kind to each other and supportive, but maybe just no relationship would be good for Alex right now. Yeah. And the age difference, yeah, I don't know, like yeah. that that will be interesting going forward to see like 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should ch- we should check the California state laws because Oh no. <laughs> well, no, because there's you know, there's something called like the Romeo and Juliet laws, which is because you know, teenagers are gonna date. Yeah. And um, you know, like if a if a 17-year-old is dating a 15-year-old, no one thinks that's really wrong. But at, at one point, that will be a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. So mm-hmm. the law like builds in some wiggle room. Okay. Like dating. But in Texas, yeah. I doubt they do that. And Friday Night Lights is all <laughs> sorts of crazy stuff. So Jason Cadence has some answers. Oh, quick that Google search says, no, California does not have a Romeo and Juliet law. In California, it is illegal for anyone to engage in sexual intercourse with a minor, even another minor. Oh. So, you so know, yeah. Amber. Amber, <laughs> Amber broke that. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that must get broken constantly. I mean, yeah. Have you seen <laughs> Euphoria? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Adam and Sarah should have been yelling at Steve on his front porch. Yeah, yeah. You committed a felony, Buster. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to jail. <laughs> it's nice to see them so close again, um, Amber and, and Hattie. Like they're, you know, when when Amber was like, "Do you have a crush on a homeless guy?" I was like, "That's not a very sensitive joke," but. Uh, nice to see you so close. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Krause mentioned that they had a sisterly dynamic in the commentary. Aww. And I thought, I can't believe I never made that connection. They do, you know, they both have brothers. Yeah. But neither of them have a sister. And now that they live so close together, hmm. it makes sense that they would kind of feel like sisters to yeah, each other. Yeah, I like that. Well, shall we move on to the remaining storyline? Yes. Cosby? Yeah. Another crazy attention to detail I had. Was Crosby and Jasmine at the beginning were looking at apartment number nine. Melissa and I are both born on the ninth yes. of different months. Six months apart. Caleb and I have like your birthday is my unbirthday and vice versa. Yeah. Wow. And this episode aired on the ninth of November. That's bonkers. That is there's purple and there's the nines. What's going on? <laughs> Amethyst, bro. <laughs> so Crosby is being pressured to give up his boat, and little six-year-old Jabbar has quite the insight. This boat is you. <laughs> That's, like, profound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does cool. nicely point out what it symbolizes for Crosby, leaving behind his former way of life. Mm-hmm. I loved this storyline. It was really small, but I thought it was great and I really it was one of those storylines where I saw where everyone was coming from like logistically I thought it made sense Crosby's not a rich person he should probably sell the boat I think that's the right thing to do but the way other people weren't taking it seriously at first and he was like I I would like this recognized I could see where someone might make fun of him for that and think he's being ridiculous but I I didn't I kind of got where he was coming from like yeah. Let's take a moment and recognize that I am growing up in a way that people maybe never thought I would. And giving up the boat is a sign of that. And I, I just would like people to acknowledge that it's a big deal instead of just saying, yeah, sell your boat and like have, you know, attitude about it, which is mm-hmm. kind of what he was getting before. So I, I don't know. I, I loved it. And, and I think that it's hard to figure out how to spend your life with another person, even if that other person is great. I think it's hard to give up your sense of self in in a way. And you shouldn't entirely. You know, yeah. I, I think there are, are ways that you need to find out how to still just be you and not just be part of a unit. And so I think maybe what he was afraid of was losing himself in someone else. 
and well, the boat is him. Yeah. <laughs> so if he loses the boat, he loses himself. It was yeah. sad to see. Like he shouldn't have to give up everything from his life, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. Like I was also the same way I reacted to the Sarah storyline. Like, man. Stop judging her, yo. She's living her life. I'm like, yo, he needs some individuality. This is his individuality, you know? Like, let him have the boat. I was like, (laughs) And that boat is so cool, too. I I love that boat. (laughs) I mean, you saw that house that they have in. It's unrealistic. Why can't he be unrealistic, too? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Totally. And the house he's about to move into with Jasmine is real beige and kind of boring. I was like, oh, man, you have this cool boat that's like lime green and it's just like full of personality. See, he's selling out. It represents him selling out. When I was unclear for much of the episode whether he actually owned the boat or if he was renting it, I would have said he was renting it. And in a previous deleted scene, Zeke said that he pays half the payments for the boat. Now, that could be like a mortgage, I guess. But I would have thought Crosby didn't seem like a property owner. Yeah, no. <laughs> he seemed like a renter. But then, you know, Julia and everyone's like, sell the boat. Yeah. And then he, at the end, he's holding a sign for sale by owner. I'm like, no. you own property? If you want to grow up, rent that baby out and make some income. True. I don't see why he should be giving it up entirely. And also, if you already own it, I don't understand quite how houseboats work. I'm like, <laughs> but can you take that out on the water? That's not a terrible thing to have. It is a little extravagant. But hey, if we want to go sailing out in the bay, I have a boat. That's what I was like. Yeah. Why would you get rid of it? Or why would you be expected automatically yeah. to get rid of it? I get if he had another house and didn't want to get rid of the house. Okay, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Give up your house. But it's a but boat. But if it's also a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like true. giving up that freedom, if he can sail it out and stuff, like it feels like you have to, oh, you have to stop going on vacation like for this period of time because you're living a real life now, Buster. You yeah. need to grow up. Like that's sad. <laughs> and I hate that way of looking at mm-hmm. like marriage and and adulthood the yeah. idea that like fun's over now that's not how it should work in my opinion and of course i come at it from a maybe different perspective since i don't have kids and and so mm-hmm. you know we really don't have to and we just have to go to work you know that's it like we can do whatever we want when we're not at work we can Go to, con- I mean, not now because there's a pandemic, but you know, we yeah. used to like go on vacation all the time, go, you know, to concerts. And I, I think we were living pretty freely, mm-hmm. probably doing a lot of the same stuff Crosby does. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's so weird. Like, that must be one of the things Jasmine loves about him is that he's free and his own person. And, and so it's like she probably doesn't want to change him. So it just seems like a logistical thing. Like why, like when when Jabbar really does say to him, like, well, why do you have to sell it? And he's like, I guess it's extravagant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, it would be expensive to have the boat and a house. Even if you rented it out, it might not be the same. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And also, like, that's a real responsibility to be a landlord that maybe. Right. I always wondered, and I finally got an answer in this episode, maybe just because I was paying attention. Does the houseboat have a door? How do you like secure it? Because you never see it shut. And then people said at the end of this episode that they they would go sneak in there to like 
have sex. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, because is it ever locked? And and if that's the case, how does he not just get robbed all the time? But then there were several shots in this episode where you could see a door that looked like it <laughs> slid shut. Or Maybe they just knew where shut. the spare key was. Yeah, they just Maybe. they just all stole the spare key, made themselves spare keys. And <laughs> this is my vacation spot now. <laughs> um, that final scene. Where the maybe it's not the final scene, I guess, because the final scene is him and Jasmine, which is also cute. But like the scene with the four Bravermans on the boat, Lauren Graham's line delivery was like making me cry. I don't know about you guys, but like they're all just having fun. They're all just like talking about (laughs) using his his boat for sex and like they're laughing and drinking. And then she just gets real serious as the other family screw up, you know? It's like when he's like, hey, everybody, you got to help me stay on the straight and narrow. And they're like, ha I will. And then she's like, I will. I got to say, I'm, uh, I'm kind of scared. About selling the boat? No, about moving in with Jasmine and Jabbar. About marriage? Of screwing the whole thing up. You know what? It's a big change. It's normal that you feel scared. I'd be worried if you didn't feel that way. Yeah. Well, I have screwed up every relationship I've ever had, so... Well, this one's different. Mm-hmm. Because of Jabbar? Yep. Mm-hmm. And because you're different. And you guys are going to help me stay on the straight and narrow? Mm. Mm, okay. Got my eye on you, buddy. I'll help you. Yeah, there. I feel like I would hang out with Crosby and Sarah, and the other two, I would be like, "Your family is weird." <laughs> I wouldn't hang out with those two. I wouldn't. It's like you know, the president. You got to find somebody you can go get a beer with. I wouldn't get a beer with those two people. <laughs> I'd be hanging out with Crosby and Sarah, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. You know, I. I get real defensive of the two of them. We've had, I think most people have really liked Crosby. We've, we've had a couple guests be hard on Sarah. and I love Sarah. I mean, I, I know sometimes maybe she doesn't always make the best decisions, but nobody consistently always makes the best decisions, you know? And, and I feel like she is not. She never punched anybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, she doesn't judge people either, you know? And, and like, she knows she sometimes needs help. And so she, when when she recognizes that Crosby needs help, she is there for him in a way that the other siblings are too. But she's like dead serious. She gets it. She gets it. Yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful. I love that. They pointed out in the commentary that Adam and Julia are very rule-driven and Sarah and Crosby are very Mm emotion-driven. Now, that's super obvious, but they put it so succinctly that I thought, yes, that's that's exactly it. Some of these people find rules comforting. Yeah. And it helps them do what they think is right. And these other people are just driven by other things. It's not that they're bad people. They just approach life differently. Yeah. I thought, you know, I've said this before. I think Crosby is kind of an amazing communicator. Yeah. For him to just flat out say, I'm kind of scared. That's a big thing to admit, even to your siblings who you have known your whole life and you you trust implicitly, I'm guessing. That's quite a confession to make. I thought that was brave of him and i also i loved that clearly sarah and he had a connection in that scene 
although I felt like by the end of that scene, it had been overplayed a little bit. There were lots of lingering shots back and forth between them. When she said, just the one little, I'll help you. That's enough. I agree. It crossed over when they were like one (laughs) small step for man, one giant leap forward. She says, family. I'm like, okay, too far, (laughs) too far. Yeah, That's that NBC writing right there. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a coach too far um no but talking about Crosby like you're right and he is I think the opposite of like toxic masculinity you know he's so great and and I think it really is because he can be emotional and he he's not embarrassed to talk about his feelings he's he's totally himself although this was kind of a funny take Mark watched this episode with me and I it was like early in the episode when Crosby was telling Jasmine that it kind of hurt him that nobody was um, making a big deal about the boat. Honoring the boat. Honoring the boat. And I was like, look at how great he is. He's such a good communicator. And I was like, he's so mature. And Mark was like, oh, that's funny. Because I was thinking that he was kind of like a little kid in that moment. Like he just can't help but say how he's feeling the way a kid would kind of blurt it out. And that he, in a way, hasn't learned to compartmentalize things the way that like Adam has. He just can't almost see beyond his own feelings. So of course he has to talk about them. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. That was so not how I was seeing it. But I I could actually see it either way. But I I like to think of it as maturity. But maybe it's not. (laughs) Damn. I did have one touch of concern. I get that anyone about to make a lifelong commitment would be nervous or like at least properly aware of the magnitude of what they were entering into, but is Crosby's apprehension more than a normal amount? And if so, why might that be? And it made me think like if Sarah were getting remarried after having really messed up Mm -hmm. a marriage before, I might understand someone like her being extremely anxious. Mm -hmm. Like, uh oh, I don't have a great track record. But Crosby's brand new at this. Maybe that's why he's scared, but He's not necessarily bad at it. I guess he did just say he's ruined every relationship yeah. he's ever had. But yeah. like until you're with the person that you're with for the rest of your life, everyone has. Yeah, like, true. Anyway, it just makes me wonder, is this something we should be worried about? Like, you know, right after he proposed to Jasmine and Jabbar didn't fly over the moon about it, he was like, uh-oh, what did I do? Is he getting into something he's not really ready for? You know, you did say that maybe anyone would feel anxious before they get married. I, I will point out, I didn't feel anxious before I got married, like maybe about the wedding, like just such a big event, you know, I hope it goes well, but I wasn't nervous about the marriage, but Mark and I had been together nine years, Yeah. but Crosby and Jasmine have not been together that long, maybe a year, if that, and there's a kid involved. So I think even if it's a really great relationship, which it seems to be, it is moving pretty fast. And so I think like that might be a factor is that maybe, yeah. It feels like, I mean, he's got all these ideal family situations around him. Like he's got the two married <laughs> siblings, the the long time parents, you know. It feels like he's almost maybe he's pressuring himself out of family expectation to get married. And Sarah's already been married, so it's like he's the last one to go. And so he's like, I don't know. And he's also obviously got a lot of freedom that it doesn't seem like the other ones have but now he's got to give up that freedom and selling his houseboat you know there's a lot of expectations thrust upon him just because he's born into this like not perfect but like ideal american family type vibe you know yeah 
Such a good point. Yeah. Like, hey, we're Bravermans. We're good at. Yeah, family. exactly. There's Don't a lot to up. live up to. <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense why Sarah and him both feel so outcasted because the other, like, at least the two siblings are very like, this is the way you live life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it makes me kind of like, I, I'm glad I'm not their sibling. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, like I said, this episode had commentary on the DVD and it wasn't outstanding commentary. I'm not like, hey, everyone, go listen to this if you're a fan. But it was enjoyable. And here's just a few little notes I took about things they mentioned in the commentary. Peter Krause says right at the beginning that Allison Liddy Brown is one of the few female directors they'd had on the series up to that point. And then he amends it and he goes, actually, I think you're the only one we've had. Whoa. And she goes, really? Well, I'm like embarrassed for you. (laughs) Something (laughs) funny. But in fact, there was one prior to her, Jan Eliasberg, who actually directed Seven Names, the episode. Immediately before. Right before this one. (laughs) Wow. So I don't know when they recorded this commentary, but. He had forgotten what had just happened. <laughs> I wonder they sometimes in shows do they record this in order? Maybe not. I don't yeah. know. I th- I think I would assume so, I, yeah. but I don't know that. No. Also, I noticed that Peter Krause seemed very analytical about Allison's direction of the episode and very complimentary. And I don't think this is a spoiler to say Peter Krause will eventually direct a couple of episodes of Parenthood. And it seemed really interesting to listen to him look at this episode, someone who hadn't ever directed TV with someone who, like I said, was such a veteran. She just like credits out the wazoo. It was like he was trying to learn and she would explain, yeah, here's why I did that. Oh, that's and, cool. And it was really sweet. Also, he laughed at Lauren Graham a couple of times, Aww. which I just thought was super sweet. Cue the music. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Identifying a theme right after I watched this episode, I thought it felt kind of hard, but I feel like Ryan sort of said it yeah. earlier. And I had I had put down it seemed like there were several characters confronting aspects of themselves that embarrassed them or that were difficult. Adam and Sarah and Cosby and Hattie and Alex. Yeah. They all had to like wipe some egg off their faces or own up to something that they worried might change how other people saw them. Yeah. Yeah. And get over like that immaturity that they still have lingering at times, I guess. I will say that I loved this episode. I thought it was such a good one. And I remember loving season two, but Caleb and I have kind of talked about this, how it seems like the first few episodes of season two were not as strong as the bulk of season one. And I was just like, when does it get to be where I remember it being? And this episode, I feel like I enjoyed about as much as I've ever enjoyed an episode. And so I'm yeah. like, maybe maybe it's found its stride again. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I think it's Alex. Once Alex comes yeah. in. Michael B. Jordan, man, just put him on your show. Works miracles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once you get past... Now I am spoiling something a little bit, but like there's not a whole lot more Gordon. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and it's what's strange too is I don't think the Gordon storyline is like unbelievable in any way. I, I don't have a problem with the storyline from a storytelling perspective. I just don't want it to be happening. Yeah, same. <laughs> but you know, that is life. Yeah. That is like, oh God, Sarah, I hated when you were working at TNS and you were dating that boss of yours. 
but that happens. You know, like, <laughs> Melissa, did you love when you were working at Names and Numbers? I did not. No. I hated that <laughs> Which job. was a phone book company. <laughs> I used to live right next to that building, too. It was so boring. I only worked there for eight months, but it yeah. felt much longer. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but yeah, yeah, that's true. We have we have these phases of our lives where yeah. we're like, that wasn't where I wanted to be. Oh, yeah. Dating your For boss sure. at names and no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I did not date my boss. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's funny. I liked the episode, too. Right after I first watched it, you know, I remembered it being this like, amazing episode. And when I first watched it, I thought, well, it's a little uneven. And I, I wonder if I just love the Adam storyline so much that that kind of elevated everything else around it. But I really liked Hattie and Alex, this step in their relationship, too. And... Crosby continues to be delightful. So, yeah. Oh, and I should mention, because we just mentioned it in passing, I thought Jasmine showing up at the boat at the end was was really sweet. Like, it made me feel like, boy, he is marrying someone who listens to him, you know, like, yeah. and, and, and gets it. And I thought that was so nice. And, you know, it was like kind of romantic and it was kind of sexy, of course, but it was like mostly, I thought, just very caring. Yeah. That was her, you don't have to be embarrassed with me, I'm your wife. Yeah. I noticed a, like a little section of that too, where like she's like taking like her clothes off and he's like, oh my God. And then it shows her taking more clothes off and it cuts back to him, same delivery. He goes, oh my God. Like it was <laughs> two different takes and they just sliced it in there. I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was reminded that she's a model. Like, you know, I mean, she's so pretty, but I think maybe you just get used to people being beautiful, especially like the whole cast is really very attractive. But I think like when that scene, it's like, oh, yeah, she's not just pretty. She's a model. I mean, like mm. yeah. most people, if they show up to your houseboat and do that, they're not going to look like that. <laughs> but, right. So maybe that explains the double. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment in the commentary where like Alice and Lydia Brown was saying, oh, she's just such a joy. Uh, I don't think she actually says that because that's a pun. <laughs> that's her name. Um, she's like, oh, she's so great. And then she's like, I mean, look at her, look at her face. And then right after she says it, Joy Bryant like smiles hugely on the screen. And they both are like, oh, <laughs> this oh is just gosh. so painfully obvious. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. How beautiful she is. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I think that'll do it for us on this episode of Parenthood Pals. Uh, you should follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. It's Parenthood Pals. And you can find us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Uh, Ryan. All right. <laughs> You've known me as Ryan this whole interview, but my real yes. name is TVMA. TVMA is my rap name. And I yes. have an album coming out, and it will probably be out by the time this is airing. It's called Patterns and Static. You can find it everywhere. From the yellow brick road to home, it's like that. If you radiate a vibe, I ain't feeling no hate. I'm Lance Guy walking out the building for the sake of the children. And to enter us with tether together. Or forever and ever, whatever. Say it again, repeat the phrase that we love her. Wait, 1602, when you feel me flow. I remember those days, hope ruined the whole thing. You cut me off, you ruined my whole name. Now I'm TVMA.
day from Kansas to the grave. My best friend shared the bed with my name twin. At least I knew you then, and I'm thankful for that. Are we still here in a year? I don't want to know. You can follow me on uh, Instagram at, at TV2DMA. You can find me on Twitter at the same thing. Add me on Facebook. I don't care. If we're mutual friends with Melissa, I'll be like, oh, that's my parenthood pal. What up? <laughs> I'll add it. I, uh, I'm also at Trio of Leaves on Instagram. I do videography, pictures, all that stuff. But yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. This is great. It was really lovely way to catch up. I was awesome. It's been too long. So it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thank all of you for listening. Did I did that make grammatical sense? Yes. And thank all of you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Hey. <laughs> Until next time. May God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.